hello. Welcome to the first episode of Meet Our Makers, a podcast hosted by me, Jeremy J. Fissette, where I talk to artists across various disciplines, music, film, television, writing, etc., about their work, about their lives, um, and anything else that kind of comes up in conversation. Um, you know, I'm trying to find the people who make the things that we love and that matter to us. Um, so on this first episode, I spoke with Adam Wiltsey of Stars of the Lid and A Winged Victory for the Sullen fame. He's currently in Belgium, where they are on lockdown, as we are in the U.S. as well, um, for COVID-19. But uh, I wanted to touch base and see how he was doing these days and what he's working on, and so we had a good good chat about the Winged Victory material and film composition, Stars of the Lid, kind of where he got his start, um, some good book and film recommendations, and just kind of whatever else came up, like I said, so... Um, Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy. If you are not someone who's familiar with his work, I highly suggest you um, look that up. Look up his work when you're done listening. Um, He was kind enough to join me for this chat, and I hope you enjoy. So here is me talking with Adam Wiltsey. Hello? Hello, Adam. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, thank you for joining me. <laughs> um, well, thank you for coming. I don't know if you put this together, but this is actually the inaugural episode. <laughs> um, All right. Well, which is, is pretty is cool. Good, is it good of time as any? Yeah, I know. Um, that's actually where I was going to start, just to ask how you were uh, doing these days with all this. Uh, I'm fine. Um, I, I mean, I live in Belgium. Uh, it's, we're a small country, so yeah, everything's pretty. Uh, I would say everything's pretty organized here. I mean, you know, we're still having uh, some, you know, fa- uh, fifteen hundred people a day of new infections, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's it's leveling off. But I, you know, in the end, I think it's going to be fine here. Just because it's a small country and we're the center of the EU, so we have, you know, we have plenty of room in the hospitals, and, and you know, everyone seems to be quite on top of everything. Well, that's good. I was uh, thinking in prep for this that, uh, you know, we in the states we keep hearing about ourselves in China and Italy and Spain, but I didn't hear anything about almost anywhere else. So I wasn't well, really sure how it was going in Belgium. Oh, it's, I mean, in Europe in general, you know, I mean, I think the, the, the worst parts are Italy, Spain, and, and England. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in Central Europe, you know, the testing, there's a lot of testing going on. And, you know, I mean, obviously we're a small country, so it helps. Mm-hmm. It's a dense, populated, there's only, what, 8 million people here. So yeah, you have 350 million people right in the States, something like that. I don't know what it is. But yeah, something like that. I, uh, I mean, I, it's hard to say how it's going to go. I, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I don't imagine. I don't imagine it going so well. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't think the the medical situation in the states is really good at all. No, it does like not seem talks, to be. Everyone talks about how the U.S. has great healthcare, but I, I don't know. I don't believe this. Uh, 
it has great health care if you have a lot of money. Right. And uh, some parts of the country seem to be doing better than others. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm from Connecticut, which is right next to New York. Um, and New York is sort of the epicenter right now. So we have, despite being a very small state, we have quite a few cases and, and, and deaths now. Um, What's, how, many, how, many, how, many, how many cases do you have in, in Connecticut? Um, I haven't checked today and I probably didn't check yesterday, but it's probably, I don't know, I want to say like 8,000. And how many people um, live in Connecticut? I might be wrong. Um, like a couple million? Yeah, you're kind of stumped. I think it's like 3 million. Um, and 8,000 is probably <laughs> probably wrong, but um, it seems like every day we get, you know, 1,000 more. It feels that way. So yeah. it's sort of slowly creeping east across our state. Um, but mm -hmm. that being said, you know, I, uh, I've heard we're, we aren't doing too badly with testing here. Uh, maybe that is because we're small. Um, but then there are parts of the country where seemingly no one test. So it's kind of scary. Are yeah. you guys, um, is Belgium in lockdown like most everywhere else? Oh, yeah. We're into our, this is like day 29. Yeah, so we're, we're somewhere around there too. The fifth, fifth, the fifth week is starting now. Yeah, I think we're a week or two behind you guys. But we, uh, yeah, it's been mostly indoors. <laughs> Um, and I mean, I'm sort of a homebody anyway, but there is something about being forced to be one that is harder. Yeah. I, don't know if, I mean, if you, if, I don't know if you I've stay home a, most of the time anyway. Well, I've got a whole building and I have a studio in here and I'm mixing any records. So I think I'm one of the fortunate yeah. ones. Yeah. No, it's good that you have this space and something to keep you occupied as well. Exactly. I mean, um, I, but also Belgium, you know, we're a bit spoiled. It's it's against the law to not have healthcare. So everyone's provided for, right. you know, the government's already given everyone money for people that are laid off. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah, yeah we're supposed to be getting okay. that. <laughs> we're supposed to be getting money yeah. for being laid off. And I think we're even supposed to be getting money, even if we are still working, if we make under a certain amount of mm -hmm. money. But there seems to be some... Uh, fog over uh how we're getting that and when we're getting that i'm not mm -hmm. not really sure on the details of that and i don't know if anyone really is yep. um it makes me sad though thinking about you know all the uh i don't know if this is true in europe too but because i don't really know the infrastructure there but it makes me sad thinking about the really small businesses that have to close and then can't like will not be able to reopen because they're just going to be losing so much money yeah. Yeah, but I think that's that's pretty much going to be the case any, everywhere. Yeah, I mean, especially you know bars and restaurants. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of them. I imagine won't be able to open. Um, yeah, because their rent is. Yeah, I mean, their rent is ongoing. So and they're not open. Well, so. their rent's ongoing. Yeah, I'm sure at some point there's going to be some pressure. Well, I don't really know what's going to happen. There's going to be some kind of pressure on banks to sort of give some sort of you know because they were bailed out last time. Right. Um. At least I think that that's that's what they're talking about here in, in Central Europe. But I don't know. How, you know, the states. Have, who knows? I mean, well, whoever knows over here right now. Um, exactly. I've, I've been thinking about that too. Just like if you're going to make it inhospitable for people to work, um, it does seem counterintuitive to then continue to force them to you know have to pay all these rent and these bills that they can't even. Well, uh, pay for yeah. because it's not their it's not even their uh, fault that they're out of work well 
Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if you can really blame anyone for this one. It's, it's yeah. just a, just blame mankind. Right. <laughs> um. All right. So, uh, speaking of Belgium, um, I've always been curious what brought you there in the first place. Why? Why? Why Belgium? Why, what? What brought you there? Oh, I, I reckon it was just a better quality of life. Mm. When did you move there? I, uh, uh, the late nineties. Oh wow. Okay. So, you know, the. I mean, it's, you know, there was a little bit of back and forth before I was, you know, officially living here. But, you know, now that I'm here, you know, there's obviously things that are, you know, really great. You know, obviously the taxes are higher, but there's a lot of there's a lot of incredible things that. Uh, yeah. The, the, you know, living in some of these socialized economies that give back to the people, you know, right. it's not, not only. Not only just healthcare, I mean, there's, you know, funding for the arts, uh, grants you can get for your different kinds of projects. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't necessarily what I was thinking when I, I just wanted to see if it was possible, something else could be possible, better, better quality of life somewhere. Mm-hmm. If, if that was possible, I always liked, you know, we would go on tour in Europe, I always liked it here. So I wanted to yeah. see if it was possible. I didn't know it was going to work out. So, right. Here I am. Um, and you know Belgium seems to I don't hear about it very often it seems to stay out of the uh global news which is probably a good well, thing I mean I think when you generally are hearing about the European Union that's that's based here so mm-hmm. maybe Belgium the country is sort of flies under the radar but I mean this is the main this is the main epicenter of the, of the entire European Union is based here so oh, okay and also also NATO is based here so <laughs> There is a lot. There's a lot going on here. So the the economy is quite well. It's quite it's quite good, but it's a small country, so it's you know yeah. just it sort of works. I, you know, I'm, I know that every country's got problems. You know, we've got uh, uh, populism going on here, just like anywhere else. But there's mm-hmm. you know generally speaking, you know, you know our right wing here is, you know. They still believe in socialized medicine, and you know they're 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 be considered you know left wing in in, in America, you know. Right. So. Um. So, so yeah. Yeah. Well. So you and uh, Dustin O'Halloran make up Wing Victory for the Sullen. Is he still based in the states? Yeah, he's in Los Angeles. Okay. So how do you guys okay. um do you collaborate remotely when you write for the band? No, we usually get together and do it. I mean, there's some definitely some remote things going on, mm-hmm. but you know, for the the major recording bits, we used you know we're usually getting together. On the last record, you know, most most of those we did together. There was a couple of moments, you know, we had to do some things on our own because we were we were uh, yeah, you know, there's you know lots lots of other things going on in everyone's life, so mm-hmm. you know to fit all that. We crammed it. We were able to do the entire recording within a year, which was kind of a small, amazing victory in itself. So, mm. yeah, I'm always curious yeah. how how projects, how long projects like um, the Wing Victory albums take because they well, uh, everyone's different. Well, yeah, everyone is everyone's different. But I meant for you guys, yeah. I mean, the first record we we took it was a little over two years, but you know we didn't mm-hmm. exist, so right. we were just getting to know each other. So. That took two years. Atomos, we did in about three months. Well, that was for so, a that was a dance commission, right? 
Uh, yeah, dance commission, but then you know we had to record it and, mm-hmm. you know, and release it too. So I mean, but in general, it was about three months. Do you guys compose collaboratively, or do you do you bring pieces to each other and sort of try to mesh them? I mean, we do we we do write a lot of a lot of the the pieces together, but there's definitely you know a few songs here and there we we you know come up with an idea and introduce it to each other. Right. But in the end, we you know we we're both working on you know everything together, so. It's very collaborative. So you mentioned that with the first album, you guys were sort of just getting to know each other. I imagine they're also being the first album and, and no one really knowing that you guys are doing this, um, at least not, you know, in the press. Um, there's a yeah, lot, we, there's less yeah, pressure we to sort of instantly release something. Yeah, there wasn't even, we weren't even really thinking of it as a band. It was just right. like a couple guys making some music together. How did you hook up? You know, we, uh, we met. I was, used to play with this band called Sparkle Horse. We were playing a concert oh, yeah. in Italy back in 2007, and uh, Francesco Donadello is the guy that we record with. He's mm-hmm. he was friends with with, and I invited him to show in Bologna, and he brought Dustin. And so we met at this concert, and he was at the time was the only American I knew that was living in Europe. Oh, okay. So yeah, we just sort of got to be friends and we kind of run into each other in Italy and he was making this uh, record called Lumiere mm-hmm. and he asked me to collaborate on this one song just you know play some guitar on it and I did that and it we clicked pretty well and we just decided we'd just try to you know get together one weekend and make some music and we, I went to he was living in Berlin at the time so I'm Went to Berlin and we just spent this like two days in his home, yeah, home studio at the time. Spent a couple of days and we wrote, you know, basically the half the record. Mm-hmm. The record just really clicked. So, uh, yeah, we just worked on it slowly over two years and then we finished it. We finished it, you know, we said, uh, what are we going to do with this? So we sent it around to a bunch of bunch of labels, but the only label that really responded to us was uh, Erase Tapes. Hmm. So yeah, so they were they were interested in putting it out, and so then we we're like, left. With, are we going to put this out under our names? And then our manager uh, said, "Hey, you guys should just use a band name." So yeah, and I came up with this uh, absurd name that still people have trouble saying. Yeah, I was like, I was wondering where the name came from. Did you just kind of make it up? <laughs> Newsflash, we. No matter what, we make up everything. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, like, was it based in something or did it just kind of come out? Uh, yeah, it was based on, you know, my, my entire life. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, I had a, this vacation one time in um, Samothraki, which is an island off Greece, okay. the northern the northern part of Greece. And there's a, there was a famous statue there that was stolen by and taken to the Louvre, which is, a you know, the museum in, in mm-hmm. Paris. It's this winged, uh, headless sculpture that's in the in the uh, stairs when you're walking in, and that's the little translation is the the the, the winged victory. So that's kind of how it started. But I just that that, that title winged victory is a little bit too positive, so I had to throw in the one. <laughs> well, yeah, you um, I don't know who's more in charge of of titling things, but it seems like every project you've been in does have a inclination towards titles that sort of mix the uh the bitter and the sweet with a good sense uh, of humor as well maybe. well dustin's come up with a couple great titles though yeah um how is 
Well, actually, to backpedal for a second, you mentioned that um, the only label who was really um, going for it was Erase Tapes. But were you was um, Stars of the Lid already Cranky related? At yeah, that time? Cranky related. So, so I, and I they didn't, Mr. Cranky. Yeah, he liked it too. But I mean, I was. Did he just you know, kind of want to keep it was, separate? Uh, well, he he released it in North America, actually. So. Oh, okay. So the, the wing, yeah, the, 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 all the, the the all the wing victory for the Salon records previous to uh, well, Iris was the race tapes, but the first two, you know, Atomos and the first one were released on Cranky in North America. The oh, new one is on, on new ones on Ninja Tune, so it's a totally different label. So how would you say um, this project is different from the other projects you've been involved with? I wouldn't really, I don't really think about it like that. I mean, they're yeah. all just these, these, uh, these, just these moments, we call it time capsules in my life. Mm. You know, they're, they're, they're just recordings, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're all different. They're all different and they're all kind of similar. They're like these little children, children of mine. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, I suppose. Um, have you ever really done much um with music that is less compositional like more straightforward music on your own that you'd probably haven't released yeah. i would know about it if you've released it but i'm just curious about that with well, people who in the, work in, in the 90s genre. i was in what kind of more i was in more of a rock band called windsor for the derby that was a little bit more of straightforward rock we had oh, vocals okay. and, and i have been involved with some other projects well i guess Sparkle Horse is, is a little bit more like that yeah and then um Another the sleeping dog record I did. I don't even know if you can find that anymore. But that 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 was a lot of vocals. Mm. So there are, there is vocal stuff, but I, I said generally speaking, I'm mostly doing instrumental music. Yeah. Um, were you always musically inclined? Like, did that start from a young age? No, I was. A, I wanted to be a professional tennis player when I was a child. So tennis didn't come until. I mean, sorry, uh, music didn't come until. I would say you know end of end of high school really oh, okay yeah i just uh didn't really know what i was going to do after tennis i wanted you know that was the the, the real love of my life so mm. it just it didn't work out and so but honestly i never really thought i'd make me you know be able to to live professionally from making music i yeah it's uh I, i'd say i'm a little bit lucky yeah, I feel like most musicians, if they have any sense of humility, um, probably do get surprised when they realize, you know, one day that they are making their living just from music. I think that's something that a lot of artists in most fields sort of hope for, but don't necessarily expect. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess there's some people that really think that they're God's gift to to be, you know, <laughs> be making art, but you know, you have to have some luck, you know, right. It's, there, there are these moments where there's, yeah, you, I, I can't put it down or anything else. I mean, yeah. obviously you can, you can learn the craft, whatever art, artistic category you, you do, but in the end, you have to have some luck. Well, yeah, some of it comes down inevitably to timing and who, exactly. who sees or hears timing, what. Timing is everything. Yeah, I mean, if you send something to someone and they overlook it, or they get something similar at the same time, you might not look out that time yeah so yeah there is a bit of luck to it it's also musical history too and you know when i put out the first stars lead record back was at 93 i mean i mean 
I don't know if that today, I don't know the climate it is it is today. I don't think it would I don't think the same outcome would happen. Yeah, I was um gonna ask about how Stars of the Lid even came to be because I feel like that's where most people might know you from, or at least originally know you from, myself included. Um sort of like how I know that you guys were based in Austin originally, right? Yeah, yeah. We were both going to university. We we're just friends working at this at this uh, student radio station. And uh yeah, you know, Brian used to do this DJ had this show where he just mix kind of weird sounds and random mm. noise bursts and it would just kind of go on for a couple hours <laughs> and I used to listen to it. And then we just started, you know, we got to be friends and we just started making sort of, yeah, I don't know what you call it. It was just a big sound soundscape mess. I'd play guitar and he would mix in tapes and mm -hmm. we used to make these cassette tapes of our little adventures we do in a, in our apartment. And then we gave it to, a, you know, we passed the tapes around to friends and this guy from a label got a hold of it and really liked it. And wanted to put out some of it, so that's how it started. Seeing and that the guy, so basically, basically, so we put out that first CD, and at the time, Mr. Cranky, uh, he just was starting the Cranky label, but he was working at Cargo uh, when Cargo was a distribution company in Chicago. Hmm. He got a hold of the CD and he loved it and sold all of them. Oh wow! He pressed like a thousand CDs, sold them all within like a couple months, which was. That was a miracle back then. Yeah, I'm sure. And uh, yeah, and then one thing led to another, and he he loved it, and that's we just sort of started started making records with Cranky after that. Yeah, see, and that speaks back to what we were just saying about timing. I mean, it's not like you guys were making something that no one would like. It's just you you got lucky enough where someone big, you know, higher up who could do something with it heard it yeah um not everyone yeah. gets that chance and cranky at the time was it just put out you know it just put out the first Bradford record i mean at the label it mm. just started yeah so you know they were in their infancy too so we sort of just sort of grew up grew up with the label yeah well i do i mean when i think of that label i associate them pretty closely with like a core few people you you guys le bradford um grouper now windy and carl and that's kind of who i am um... also just like other other bands that you know that went on you know like that went on and did pretty well for themselves low yeah low too yeah they're on sub pop now right or maybe they're, they're not anymore i think they're still on sub pop are they yeah. okay but, you know they put out like three or four of lows for me the secret name things we lost in the fire their best their best for me the best best albums low released yeah I love although the, the double negative one they just released is really good too yeah it is. and i also Cranky also discovered uh, this. Well, I'm not was never a big fan, but uh, they were huge for a while. They were called he, Godspeed You Black Emperor. He put out their first record. Oh, I actually didn't know that they released on Cranky. Yeah, yeah. Their first couple, their first two records were on Cranky, and oh. they went. Yeah. Well, Cranky has a very, um, generally has a very distinct aesthetic with what they release. Yeah, but it's also funny, you know, as as obscure as a lot of the music he puts out, it's there's a you know he he just has. This is something I've never been very good at. <laughs> he just is good at finding. Well, he, he's got a very particular taste. A lot of mm -hmm. music he puts out, you know, no one buys any of it. But some, right. he had he's had his finger on some sort of pulse about something that was just he was like this was going to do really well. Yeah, Godspeed, Godspeed, that they're one. 
also he discovered this band deer hunter you remember them although yep. they've they kind of, i'm not sure they really went anywhere but for a while though they, they kind of exploded you know yeah they got popular sort of in the mid to late 2000s um they're still released stuff though i think they had an album a couple of years ago i don't know who released it yeah they still exist but you know but i mean it, still i mean it, you know that he put out their first record too and just you know he he's got a he's, got, he's just got a funny uh yeah I mean, anytime I've ever sent him something that I thought maybe he would like, he never likes any of it. <laughs> so it's funny because you think you kind of know what his his ear yeah, is, you think, and then, you, and then and you don't know. <laughs> you, you really don't know. It's impossible to figure out what he likes. That's interesting, though. It kind of reminds me of uh, <laughs> like when you hear of like old movie directors who gave people their first uh, acting jobs, and then the actors became uh-huh. movie stars. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of the similar thing. And I don't hear about that too often with specific labels. I mean, there are labels that release can pretty consistently release good music, but cranky does sort of, I don't know. I feel like they're in sort of a weird uh, league of their own with kind of what you were just saying, sort of like discovering these underground people and kind of getting them in before someone else did. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely done it his own way. I mean, it's a very small label in the sense it's just Joel. I mean, Mr. Mm-hmm. Cranky is the only guy there. He's got a, a, guy, a guy that helps him with a little bit of promotion, but it's basically Joel that does everything. Yeah. So it's a small label and it's not going to, you know, it's not going to pretend that you're going to, you know, be, be, you know, turn, I, I don't know how to describe this, but it's, it's not functional like a, a modern label like Ninja Tune or, 4AD or someone at the beggars, you know, XL or something. The way they, when they put out a record, it's, you know, it's a huge team of people that are, you know, yeah. there's a science behind it a little bit, you know, because it's, you know, at this point in history, it's, it's virtually impossible to sell any records. So, right. There, there is, a, you know, a few select people that have kind of figured out a system to it. And, you know, you can still sell records. It's very difficult. But, uh, I, you know, for example, like seeing the way Ninja Tune goes about, it's been, you know, it's been a master class and okay, it is, it is still possible, Yeah, but you really have to, you know, you have to, it, it's, it's not cheap. You, know? you have to, you have to sort of spend, you know, spend money to make money on it. So. Oh, totally. I mean, vinyl has okay. always been, okay, I'm putting this out. You either like it or you don't. And, but some of his records have, have sold a lot, but it's at his own pace. Right. And I mean, I've, maybe I'm in the minority then, but I mean, I, I still, you know, buy records, but I, I actually have bought several cranky records because, you know, the Stars of the Lid um, reissues and new grouper albums. And I just bought the new Wendy and Carl album. Um, mm-hmm. But I get what you're saying because it is a small operation and vinyl is super expensive to produce. I mean, I'm lucky enough. I live, you know, 15 minutes from a small record store. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. There aren't that many in Connecticut, but I live near one. Yeah, I mean, and also you can, uh, I mean, at this point, mail orders, you know, ordering online is a lot, it's pretty efficient. Yeah, so, and the record store near me it, has a yeah. Discog shop, so they, they're they very online if you need them to be. Yeah, yeah I have there are some really great stores in Brussels, so yeah, I, I still buy vinyl in the shops here. Yeah. So I do a little bit of both. Um, did Cranky or, release yeah. every Stars of the Lid record? Uh, no. No, but most of them. Most of them. Was there ever any sort of pressure at that label to like keep producing, or did you guys get your own sort of timetable? No, no, there's definitely no, no pressure. Ever. That's nice. Yeah, he doesn't. He's no. He doesn't work that way. No, absolutely. <laughs> no. 
Well, it's not like you said, it's not Excel. It's not some huge, huge, huge label where, you know, every exactly two years they're hitting their watch waiting for your record. Yeah, I'm not sure so. how it works. I mean, even with, you know, Ninjatune, I mean, we definitely signed a, you know, a contract. Mm-hmm. So there is an expectation there. But I mean, we signed, and when we, you know, the first couple, of, well, we don't have a contract anymore because we've been friends for so long. But, you know, initially when we, we put out our first record, we did sign a two record contract with Cranky. So, mm-hmm. Signing mean, a contract's a normal thing. So if you sign yeah. a contract, you're already, you're supposed to finish the contract unless you break up or something. But he's just you know, you know, it's by himself. He's got plenty of other things to do. So yeah, you know, and even there is a thing that makes you realize when you do sign that's you know just because we're signing this contract doesn't mean I'm going to put it out. I have to like it too. So yeah, so um. So to transition a little away from that, um, how did you start getting into film composition? Because that's always something that interests me as well. I don't know if it if it behaves differently for you when you're composing, or, it's or what. But... A lot, it's a lot different. Yeah. Um. You know. I mean. I think initially it was through our pub. You know, my publisher. You're getting you know requests for licensing of music for television, film, or you know some commercials even. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, there's a lot of music that I've done that's been put in films already. So it just, you know, you, so you just wonder, can we do this on a, you know, a larger scale? But it's, you know, the, co- the complication of scoring the picture, which, you know, it's fine if you, if you like doing it. But, you know, it's all about the film. So, you're, you know, if you have any sort of ego or feeling precious about yourself, it's pretty much going to get destroyed in your first film because... It, it can be pretty brutal, the, the, the notes. And, you know, it's, it, again, it's not about you. It's about the larger picture. It's, you're, you're, you know, you're servicing this film. So you have right. to tell the stories. You have to really let go. And uh, so that being said, it, it, yeah, it's not for everybody. So. Right. Do you typically, um, like, view the whole film while you're composing? Because I don't know if everyone does yeah, that. Yeah. Or not. yeah, you get the, yeah, the film is sort of being edited. Right you know, as you're going along, things are depending on, you know, the budget and, you know, the people involved. I mean, you know, it's, it's being changed all the time. So, yeah. And you're working, um, you're changing and changing and, you know, the, the versions go into the, the dozens. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure uh, they, they have sort of a process of syncing up what you made and seeing if it works and then do you ever have to like yeah yeah you have to redo it sometimes you get lucky and you know right. be a v1 that'll make it but a lot of times also you're fighting against the temp music the music that they had in the film to initially cut the film before you're even hired so sometimes you're you know essentially trying to sort of yeah come up with this sort of emotion of, a, of another piece of music that you know could be one of your colleagues or contemporaries yeah. so it's a little bit strange. What was uh, your part in the arrival in Theory of Everything scores? Because I've seen that you worked on them, but you're you're not like yeah, yeah, the, I mean, the composer. Just, well, there's a lot of you know it's a long film and it's you know, mm-hmm. a good friend, so you know I just wrote you know I worked on a couple of the, the quite a few of the tracks with them. Mm. Come up with an idea, I take it and just you know kind of develop the idea really. It's basically as simple as that. I mean, he was the composer, but you know, right. everyone, you know, no composer really does a, you know, a film without an assistant. You know, you need to have help because it's, 
yeah. you're doing anywhere between 20 to 40 cues. And yeah, I mean, those films were, that, that one was, although he had a good, good rapport with the director. I mean, it was a pretty high pressure situation. So, right. but in the end, you know, it's a great score. I think, I mean, John did a fantastic job. Yeah, it was, so there's a lot of other people involved. You know, Rob from Lycans did all the, and Hilda Gunnadotter did all the sort of voice, you know, the voices that you hear in the background. Oh, I didn't know that. So, yeah, so you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of us that are sort of in the background. That you just don't realize. Oh, it's not just Johan. It's, you know, yeah, the big bunch of friends in the in the room making making this together. She's having a, a pretty good moment lately. She did. Hilda had Hilda had quite a year. Yeah, a good year. <laughs> She was like a monster truck, just, I know. just crushing everyone. I mean, I, 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 I love, it's a great score. I mean, I think it's a fantastic score, but I couldn't be happy for it. I mean, right? I think I think it's great. I had heard yeah. of her for a few years just from her playing with different bands, and she had a couple solo things. So when she started, mm-hmm. kind of, it felt—I don't know how sudden it really was—but it felt very sudden that she was suddenly like scoring all these things. No, but um, she's been so that was very exciting. She's been working on films for for years. It's just yeah. you know she finally got propelled into like a you know a bigger, a big uh, you know a big production. Well, there's a couple other productions, the big productions she worked on. But that year, I mean, you know, she did the Chernobyl soundtrack. Yeah, which that was she the did first one I knew. Joker, all in the same year. Yeah. Was, I was actually I never year. I never saw the Joker film, but I did watch Chernobyl, and I, I mean, I thought the score was great. So I was happy she she won all the accolades for that. Yeah. 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 I mean, Joker film, you could, t- you know, whether you lo- like it or not, but, uh, you know, Joaquin Phoenix is great and the, the score is really good. So, yeah, I've heard the, yeah, it's not for everybody, good. but, you know, it's not a, it's not a superhero movie. No. <laughs> are you listening to or reading anything or watching anything in your isolation? I am. Well, I'm reading. It's keeping the, you sane. <laughs> I'm reading the complete personal memoirs of Ulysses S. Grant. Oh, wow. And I'm also reading for a little bit wider. <laughs> I'm reading about, uh, the kid stays in the picture by Robert Evans, the, the Hollywood producer, which is absolutely hilarious. I highly recommend it. It's really good. Yeah, I've heard of that before, but yeah, I've never gotten I'm almost done with that. that. But the Lucy's S. Grant biography is really interesting. Hmm. I don't know it's that I would have ever been compelled to pick that up. <laughs> well, I, I was reading a, reading a bit kind of on two sides of history reading up a bit on Australian, like the Bush Rangers, Australian history around this time. It's the colonization of, of, of Australia with all the sort of Irish people that end up there in, in prison. And uh, yeah, it's just was this, this sort of mid 1850s to 1880. This is a really strange time. And I just been kind of curious about it. So I started mm-hmm. reading up a bit. And I, you know, I heard this was supposed to be a good memoir. So I've been reading it. I'm halfway done. It's actually really good. And so, yeah, that's what I'm reading. Uh, listening, I have to say, I'm not really listening to very much. I'm, I'm finishing a new soundtrack for this uh, thing I did for the Manchester Festival. Okay. Last year, it's called Invisible Cities. With the, the 29, 59 Productions people or the just uh, English production company who did the Olympics a couple years ago. It's sort of this oh. audio-visual, I don't know how to do this. You can look it up. Look up the Invisible Cities, 59 Productions online. Anyway, the score is going to come out. Uh, so hopefully, yeah, you probably hear a taste of it in, in November. Ninja Tune's going to put it out. So we're mixing that right now. So really, that's all I'm listening mm-hmm. to. So, yeah, I mean, I think when people are working on stuff, it's kind of it can be hard to sort of dislocate from that and listen to a bunch of other stuff. Well, I mean, I have to, you know, I'm always at, getting asked to do a playlist or something. I mean, I, 
which is always really difficult. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think the, the the I really like Jed Kurzel's score for the for the um, what's it called the the True History of the Kelly Gang. I don't know if you've seen that film. No, isn't that that's fairly recent though, right? Yeah, it just came it just came out some months ago. But Jed yeah. Kurzel's a, he's an Australian guy. It's a great it's a really really good score. So I really like that one. That's probably about all the only thing I've heard lately that I can say that I've, I've actually listened to. I don't even know if that's out in the states yet. Yeah, with the score you can listen to it on Spotify. Oh, the score I can listen to, right? Okay. Um, yeah, and I, he I made know. he made the Macbeth yeah, remake. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he did. His brother is the director. Oh, that's Justin. why. Okay, I saw Kurtz. Oh, yeah, great, okay. great score by Jed. Go to his first one. It's called Snowtown. I have I've yeah, seen cool. that, but I probably was um, not. Was, you know, it's twenty eleven. I wasn't thinking of the score at the time. Yeah, the, but, the film is pretty bleak, but the the score yeah. is great. I'll have to go back and rewatch that. I've been meaning to rewatch yeah, that the, actually. Yeah, Jed and I have the same. We have the same publisher, and he opened up for Stars of Lid some years ago in Adelaide. We got to be friends, but so I've been following his stuff. But he's he's doing really. He's, he's one of my favorite colleagues. They're making doing film scores these days. Yeah, and I remember now looking at the poster for the Kelly Gang movie that I had wanted to see this because I liked Justin's other films. Pretty psychedelic. There's a really great cameo of uh, with Russell Crowe in it. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> cool. I'll have to keep my eye open for that. Uh, Wikipedia tells me that it's not opening here until April 24th, but I almost wonder if that's not happening right now because of yeah. <laughs> all this stuff. Everything's getting pushed back, which um, I understand, no, but it's sad. <laughs> yeah. But so uh, I, I suppose I'd be remiss without asking: Is there is there zero hope of there ever being more stars of the lid music? Oh, I know I've kind of read that you guys are sort of a never say never kind of people. Yeah. I mean, you never know. You happen. never know. I just wasn't sure. You never if, know. Um, it was like a conscious decision at the time to leave it at refinement. I mean, conscious is, you know, this, this conscious decision thing. It's, it's all, it's a bit overrated. I don't, you know, I, yeah. I think the door is always open. We're not, you know, you're not like actively not doing it, yeah. No. Yeah. It's just just finding the time. Right. It all comes back to timing. It all comes down to timing. It's true. All right. Well, I hope you stay healthy. You seem to be a couple weeks Thank ahead you. of us, so hopefully you guys are out of the woods soon. I don't know. Well, yeah, I, we're still going to be – I mean, the lockdown's being pushed to May 5th now, so we're still, you know – Well, ours I mean, the, is May 20th, but I think it's going to keep going. Yeah, the curve is starting to flatten, but we're still having a you know yeah. a lot of people getting infected. But the, the thing I think our government's worried about is, which I think no no one seems to be talking about, is the second wave that could happen. You know, you yeah, just, you turn you let everything back open, you still have infected people out there, and pff, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm I know, curious I think, how I think we're gonna have to do like a gonna soft out. like a how, soft how we get out of this Because I don't know, like I I'm a I'm also a teacher, so I've been working. I've been um doing online teaching, yeah. um and everyone's yeah well that makes sense but in, here in Belgium I think they're not I mean kids are on so well so the schools were were sent home some weeks ago whenever this so it was it was the thirteenth of uh, March when everything mm-hmm. shut down and so kids have been out of school so you know I have friends with kids and so right now technically would have been spring break so they have this two week spring break oh, okay and then so. But they're not going to be 
there's no way they're, they're letting kids back in school after this. So no, they really I, shouldn't. Your friends of mine think think it's it's just there's not going to be any more school this year. Not till the, you know if fall if if anything. I know. I'm very curious so, about how the fall will go if we'll if we're going to start the school year remotely. It's going to be a going to be a long summer for sad dads. Yeah, <laughs> that's a title right there. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, stay healthy, stay positive, okay. keep yourself occupied. That's all we can really do right now. Okay. Thanks, man. Oh, thank you for talking. Mm-hmm.